Welcome to the Northridge Church Podcast, a weekly rewind of Sunday's talk. Amen. All right. I just got done talking to someone, a missionary friend to uh, connect with after Mark was talking. Uh, I wanted to connect him to someone, a friend of mine. And, and hey, I feel like I'm uh, on uh, JVC right now and I'm hawking items for you. My name is Pastor Tony. I serve at Northbridge Church. And I want to show you something here. This is a fogger. So we're going to be starting up next, uh, next week. We're going to start live services. Pastor Dave's going to talk a little bit more about that at the end of our time together. But I just put this out here because I want you to know that I get that in this day and age, there are people, and I'm one of them, that's just concerned. You know, I find myself at Lowe's yesterday, and I heard someone sneeze behind me, and there's just a moment where I just pucker up, and I just stop for a second and just think, what, what, what was in that sneeze exactly? I can say that was a fear or a thought that uh, six months ago, I never would have had. And uh, so I understand that, that all of us are just a little heightened in our sensitivities, and uh, I brought the fogger out here to show you uh, this is the newest newest piece of technology Northbridge Church has purchased last week, and it uh, came in the mail, and I actually uh, used it, experimented in our office to make sure this would work. We're using a solution called HOCL. Uh, it's, a, it's a natural solution uh, uh, that will, that's a, a level four disinfectant. It can kill anything from a cold bug to bloodborne pathogens. So uh, it's a very powerful solution. We put it in here and we fog it. We kind of steam the whole area. Uh, this building will be cleaner than it has ever been uh, ever in the history of this building because on a weekly basis and in some cases even a daily basis, we will be fogging this building to make sure there is nothing on surfaces, there's nothing in the carpet, there's nothing in the fabric of our chairs. Uh, I just share all that to say we are taking the cleanliness of this building and your safety at an incredibly serious level, and I want you to be aware of that. So anyway, enough about the fogger. I want you to be aware of that. I want to also say thank you, Mark Stevens and family, for being here today. Uh, this... Uh, Getting to see you has been an exciting, it's been a, a, a cool experience, a reminder of what we do and why we do it. Uh, you know, one of the things, church, you need to understand that if you give to our going global budget, if you give to our regular tithes and offerings, then you know that you have a part in Mark's ministry and other ministries at, that are, uh, that are uh, people that are missionaries assigned to the IMB. Uh, we are so thankful that we get to partner with men and women like Mark and Barbara and their family, uh, knowing that they are spreading the gospel across the entire world. It's a powerful thing and a cool experience to get to be a part of that. Uh, I want to tell you about a story I read, and I, for the life of me, I can't remember the name of the story. I was researching it this whole week. I remember the character's name. His name was Jean Valtran. Valtran. How can you not forget a name like that? It's a short story I read as a, as a high school student about Jean Valtran was a libertarian during the reign of terror in France, and he was assigned as one of the greatest public criminals because he was trying to push back 
from the reign of terror. He was pushing back from the the bloodshed and the murders and the the violence. And for that reason, he was jailed and he he was convicted of high crimes and misdemeanors. He was jailed and his sentence was possibly one of the cruelest ones that just captured my imagination as a teenage boy. Because as you could imagine, teenage boys, we were all about cruelty, you know? And so I found myself uh, hearing this guy's punishment, and I was just entranced. I just couldn't believe it that Von Valtron was sentenced to be blinded. Now, he wasn't blinded by his eyes being plucked out, but rather an iron mask was lowered on his head and was anchored there, was locked there, so that he, even though he had the faculty of eyesight, he could see, he could not see. And, and no matter what he could do, he could not get this mask off. And Valtron was then placed on a five-by-five five platform, and he was told that this five-by-five five platform was over 40 feet above the air, that if he were to, to fall off the edge, he would plummet to his death and die a gruesome, terrible death. He was also told that there were, he was inside of a courtyard and there, there were guards along walls that if they saw him attempting to take his mask off or if they saw him uh, trying to lower himself in some way off of his 40-foot platform, he would be shot on sight. And on a weekly basis, there would be guards that would come to him and give him a weekly supply of food and he spent his time in blindness and loneliness and isolation and as you could imagine, this, this crime, this sentence was absolutely, incredibly uh, terrifying. Uh, he was driven in this short story for years. He lived in this isolation and this loneliness, and he was driven almost to the brink of insanity. And then in the story, it took a turn. It took a turn uh, at the end of the story because of just fate the locking mechanism on his mask, it, 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 it corroded and it broke on its own, in its own due time. And one day, he, the mask literally fell off of his head. And for moments, he was blinded because he had never seen the sunlight. But as his eyes adjusted, he recognized he was not in a prison, but he was in an open field with no one around. He was not on a platform that was 40 feet in the air. Rather, it was three feet in the air. There were no guards around, but rather once a week, there would be some guards that would come and, and, and drop food off. He discovered that his prison was a prison of the mind that was executed or that was implemented by very cruel, perverse leaders in that culture. Now, What am I saying? I'm saying this, that as I read that story and I think about where we're at today, or I should say as I remembered that story and I think about the situations we're in today, many of us can identify with Jean Valtron, that his loneliness was one of his own making. His imprisonment was one of his own making. And in the same way, we might be trapped and isolated, but that's not reality for us. It's not, we we feel lonely, but we might be surrounded by people. Even, Even through technology, we still might have the ability to connect with scores of people, but there are some of us that are watching this 
stream that would say, Tony, I find myself more lonely than ever before. The reality is, is that is a common issue within the American culture, even before the COVID-19 pandemic. Five years ago, we could have talked about loneliness, and there would be a group of people that would look at me and say, I am so lonely. Look at, look at our entertainment. Look at our music. I mean, the theme of loneliness underscores so much of our culture, but it's only heightened. If, if that's something that we could say that was a part of our culture years ago, it's been heightened. It's been sensitized. It's brought to, been brought to an extreme because of the forced isolation and the sense that we have to disconnect a little bit farther from everyone around us for fear of disease. We could be lonely alone, or we could be lonely in a crowd. You know, I've experienced this past a couple of weeks where I've heard stories about social distancing and people's hearts being broken. Grandparents telling me about how that they have to look at their grandkids from a football field away and just wave to them. We have neighbors who walk their dog. They, they live a couple of blocks away from us, and they used to hug Dax when, when they'd see him, but now they, they just have to stay a distance away, and they won't come close to him, and then they will tell me with tears coming out of their eyes how they haven't been able to see their grandchildren for weeks now and how terrible that is. We hear stories of grandkids and children going to grandparents and parents' Uh, windows and looking through the window in a, a, a facility, a care, a long-term care facility, and all they can do is just maybe press their hand against the window, and and loneliness creeps in as they see their loved ones on the other side of the window. I have heard stories, and and a friend of Dana's who's in the medical field, out of fear, uh, especially in the early days, not exactly knowing what we were getting into. Fear that she would be spreading something to her family. She actually lived in another residence uh, and lived by herself for several, several, like six, seven weeks, not being able to see her children, not being able to see her husband. We, I hear stories every day of how coworkers who were once having tight, tight knit relationships and sales meetings together and talking about how to take market share together now are operating away from their teams in their homes. And part of that, uh, part of that experience, loneliness creeps in. So how do we navigate this? How do we deal with loneliness as it comes into our lives? That's the million dollar question today. That's what we're here to deal with. I invite you, if you have a copy of scripture, to turn to 2 Timothy chapter 4, because Paul here is at the end of his life. He is writing a letter. It's his second letter to a young pastor who he, he considers a son. He loves Timothy dearly, and he gives some instruction. And we look, we're able in this passage to look into the psyche of the writer. We kind of look beyond just the image of Paul, and we see what's at his heart at this point. Let, read with me, if you will, starting in verse 9. We have the, the scriptures. They should be on the screen for you as we read. Paul uh, writes to Timothy, and he says, Do your best to come to me quickly. For Demas, 
because he loved this world, has deserted me and has gone to Thessalonica. Crescens has gone to Galatia and Titus to Dalmatia. Only Luke is with me. Get Mark and bring him with you because he is helpful to me in my ministry. I sent Tychicus to Ephesus. When you come, bring the cloak that I left with Carpus at Troas and my scrolls, especially the parchments. He's talking about the scriptures, uh, the scriptures here that, that he has. He wants the scriptures to be close to him. Verse 14, Alexander the metal worker did me a great deal of harm. The Lord will repay him for what he has done. You too should be on your guard against him because he strongly opposed our message. At my first defense, no one came to my support, but everyone, get that, get, think that, everyone, look at this word, everyone deserted me. May it not be held against them. What are we seeing here in this passage of scripture as we read 9 through 16? Quite fr frankly, Paul is alone and he feels it. In this moment, we don't see some high and mighty uh, apostle who's a little bit above the world, who floats over difficulties, who walks on water, who, who can experience incredible miracles. What I see in these words revealed to us by the author is a man who feels loneliness, a man who's experienced some of his very best friends choosing to go somewhere else because life is a little less difficult there than it is with him in, in, in his jail cell. Paul is alone, and he is lonely, I would make the argument. And many of us are like Paul. Maybe we're not jailed somewhere because of our faith. Maybe we're not facing the end of our days. Maybe we have not had someone like Alexander do great harm to us, but we're alone. How do we deal with it? Well, you know, I do what every American does when I'm trying to figure out a problem. I Google it, right? And so this week, just in preparation for today, when I was thinking about what would I say to you today about how to deal with loneliness, I, I Googled, how do you deal with loneliness? Here are the answers I found that Google says. Google told me to join a club. It told me to change my job, to use hi-fi audio waves to help fight the loneliness. It told me to be positive. It told me to get married. It told me to get divorced. It told me to get remarried. It told me to travel more. It told me to move. It told me to turn on a TV. It told me to turn off a TV. It told me to turn on my radio. It told me to read more. And then it gave me a list of 50 great novels Google thought I would enjoy. Google told me to read less and get outside more. It told me to pick up a hobby and it told me to volunteer more. As you can tell, if we go to the world around us, we're going to find things that might, might be band-aids, might be something that would entertain us for a moment, and it would make the loneliness recede just for a brief time. But I would submit to you that all of these solutions are activities, yes, but they will not defeat loneliness. They would only mute its effects for a few moments. Paul, I argue, has a solution for loneliness. And I would argue that this solution that he shares with us in verse 16, 17, and 18 are the things that he implemented in his life to experience a living God ministering to him in the midst of the loneliness. 
Continue to read with me. Verse 16. At my defense, no one came to my support, but everyone deserted me, we read. May it not be held against them. But the Lord stood at my side and gave me strength so that through me the message might be fully proclaimed and all the Gentiles might hear it. And I was delivered from the lion's mouth. And then verse 18, he says, The Lord will rescue me from every evil attack and will bring me safely to his heavenly kingdom. To him be glory forever and ever. Amen. Paul gives us some insight here. As he is dealing with loneliness, as he is dealing with feeling betrayed, as he is dealing with the fact that his friends scattered, as he is, dealing, as he is living in a very hard time in his life. And I would just first say this to you. I know that this stream goes out to, to our church family. And many of you I have in my mind right now, I have images of you as I have thought about you throughout the week, as I go through our internet directory and I just pray for people and pray for names and I think about folks and I try to call a couple of people each day just to see how they're doing and, and checking on folks. I, I'm thinking of you at this time, but I also realize that through this through this pandemic experience, we have had a unique experience, as with many churches in our community, in which hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of other people are checking us out and watching. And, and I'd say to you as our guest, I'm so glad you've joined us. I love the fact that I have a possibility to speak into your life. Even if I've never met you face to face, I love the fact that I get to, get to present God's word to you in real time and get to share hope and get to share a little bit of God with you in these few moments. I say to you, if you are lonely, if you are sad, I do not want to come across with trite answers. I don't want to look to you and act like your loneliness is small or minimal. And, and I don't want to dismiss you either because I understand uh, that loneliness it is often equated in the church world as the dark night of the soul. It's, it's a, a dark, dark time, and it's very real for us. I understand that loneliness could drive some of us to suicide, to terrible solutions, terrible solutions that you can't walk back. Loneliness could cause us to make terrible choices, even beyond things like the final solution. It could cause us to, to make terrible decisions about who we spend time with. It could make us, uh, give us terrible solutions of how we spend money, of how we invest our time, how we invest our lives. I, I understand that this subject is so serious. And so hear me as I share with what I see Paul doing here. These are things that really worked. They worked for Paul and they work for the church. For the last 2,000 years, other people besides Paul have taken these truths and applied them to their hearts and applied them to their lives, and it's made a world of difference, friend. So what's the first thing I see Paul doing here? I see in verse 17 that Paul is telling us to see the purpose that God has for you. See the purpose that God has for you. And what I'm talking about this is verse 17, where Paul is saying, through me, the message might be proclaimed. Through me, the message might be proclaimed. Paul realizes he's not in that jail just because of some, some cosmic fate that is outside the control of a loving God. 
Paul understands it's not random chance, it's not circumstances that have played out. Here's the reality, and this is the truth that this church has staked its life on, its corporate life on, and that is this. God loves you and has a plan for your life. The good, it's easy to say that God has a plan for your life when things are going well, right? It's more difficult, but still a true statement when hell has broken loose in your life and you're feeling more pain in your gut than you ever have to say, God loves me and he has a plan for me. That's hard to say, but let me tell you, friend, it's still true. It's true today that even if you are in the midst of a dark despair, if you are despondent, if you feel like you are trapped in a cave, if you're like Jean Valtran and you feel like a mask is over your head and you're on a 40-foot platform with no friends around but only sharpshooters waiting to shoot you down, I'm telling you, God still loves you. And he has a plan for your life. Paul's plan, he understood for the plan that God had for Paul was that he would fearlessly and boldly proclaim the gospel into a dark world, into a world far from God. And he understood that was, that was God's plan for his life. So he saw the purpose that God had for him, and he would expend all of his energy to make that happen. Let's do an illustration now, wherever you're at. Whatever, if you're in your living room, if you're in your family room, if you're in your kitchen, if you're in your bedroom, wherever you're at and you're watching this, with me right now, let's collectively take a deep breath together. You ready? Let's do it one more time and you through the mic, you can hear my deviated septum, right? Okay, let's do it again. Ready? Guess what you did? If you breathed right now, you just proved to me and the rest of this world that are connected to you through this stream, that you are alive. If you were not alive, you could not breathe. I know this is complex reasoning, but do you see where I'm going with this? What I'm trying to explain is this. If you're alive and breathing right now, there's a reason for that. You're not some cosmic accident. You're not just, just something, you know, God has not, not taken notice of you. You are alive because there is a purpose for you to be alive. And part of the perplexities of life and part of the joys of life and one of the mysteries of life is for you to live to figure out what your purpose is. But I can tell you that God has purpose for you. But not only that, we also see that, that not only would I tell you to see the purpose that God has for you, I would say this, take the second thing that Paul has said here and, 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 and live it. And that is, Allow the people of God around you. I back up a little bit. We've been in 17 and 18, but I go back to verse 11. And what does Paul say in verse 11? He's telling Timothy, he says, get Mark and bring him with you. Why? Because Paul needed people around him. Even someone as spiritual as Paul needed some of the family of God to be there and minister to him. Here's the reality that I've said this often, and I'm not saying something new to you that I've never revealed before, but the truth is this. We need each other. I don't care how strong you are. I don't care how sharp you think you are. I don't care how spiritual you are. If a person like Paul is saying, I need Mark. At that day, it's thought that Mark was a very young man. Mark failed Paul very significantly earlier in Paul's life and uh, caused a rift between Paul and Barnabas. So Mark is a young man. He was inexperienced at one time. He was considered a hazard or a liability in Paul's life. Well, Paul is now in a scenario in his life where he says, I need Mark. I believe Mark is useful for me. 
And, and he is calling for his friends to come because he needs his friends. Friends, if, if Paul needs friends, you need friends. If Paul needs people around him, you need people around him. It's easy for us to get distant when we feel weak, when we feel disjointed, when we feel loneliness. You know, it's interesting. We feel lonely. What do we do? We tend, many of us push people away just a little bit further. What? To only make the loneliness a bit more intense, to make the loneliness a bit more pronounced. Few of us, for whatever reason, when we feel lonely, we lean into people. That's, that's kind of interesting, isn't it? We, we make a prison for ourselves, just like Jean Valtran did. And we accept the norm. But we need to be like Paul, and we need to accept the company of God's people around us. And then a third thing I would challenge us to do today is lean on the presence of God. Verse 18, Paul says, The Lord will rescue me. I love that word rescue. That is a powerful word. Notice Paul, Paul didn't say, the Lord is concerned for me. He did not say, the Lord's aware of me. The Lord is, it didn't say the Lord is kindly predisposed to me. He didn't even say something as weak as, as weak as, and as amiable as the Lord will help me. Whether Paul says, the Lord will rescue me. That is a powerful word. That is a word talking about a white knight coming in on a stallion with a sword ready to save the day. It's talking about a, a unit of door kickers coming in and rescuing, uh, rescuing a, a hostage from a terrorist organization. It's talking about how someone comes and does incredible feats of strength and uses incredible power to come and rescue the weak and the, the willing. And here Paul is saying, I know, I have confidence that the Lord will rescue me this very day. What is he going to rescue from? Paul gives us a look. He says, from the evil of this world, God is going to rescue me from every evil attack that happens against me. Anything bad that is fighting against me, I know that the Lord will rescue me from it. And then also, he is going to rescue me in a position of taking me back home one day. Paul says, not only in, in the case of evil attacks coming, but he will bring me safely to his heavenly kingdom one day. Oh, friends, that is the truth. The truth today for us to take some joy in. For you, if you're fighting with loneliness, I would say this. If you called upon the name of Jesus, you are a saved child of God. I'm telling you that if you've called upon the name of Jesus, he has saved you. He, for he is the Christ. He is the saving one. And God is with you as a Christ follower. The saving one will not leave you to battle sin or death or the enemy with your own provision, with your own power, with your own skill sets. But he will be there with you every step of the way. No matter how lonely you feel, the Savior is there. So go into life with confidence that God knows where you're at, that Jesus is present in your life, and that the Spirit is working in your life. Friend, the reality is this. The Spirit is working in you right now in the middle of loneliness to produce something incredible. What is it? I don't know. And I'm not going to claim to know. 
But I'm going to say again, that's one of the mysteries of life that you get to, to journey to figure that out. But I know for a fact that if you have called upon the name of Jesus Christ, then the Spirit is working. He is working for you. He is working in you. And he is working through you, friend. And so ultimately, the question of the day is, have you called upon the name of Jesus? The cool thing about this broadcast is I realize there have been many folks that are faithful church members that are watching this, and there's also a lot of folks that are just checking out the claims of Christ. Oh, maybe, maybe you thought you had life figured out. Maybe you thought you were, you were confident with, with how you were headed in your life, but the reality is now that with this pandemic thing hitting us, your, your confidence has been eroded. Your power has been eroded. Your certainty in the answers about life has been maybe limited now. And to you, I would say this. What I've been speaking of, the God's presence being in your life, it's not there for every human being. It's just not. It's there for people who've called upon the name of Jesus and said, Jesus, I need you in my life. Would you come in and would you save me today? Would you save me? Would you rescue me from evil attacks of the enemy and of death and of hell? Would you rescue me from my sin so that I would have confidence in knowing that one day you will take me to the heavenly kingdom when this life is over? I'm here to tell you that if you're lonely and you're far from God, call on his name today. Call on his name and see what happens. See what God does to rescue you. I would say this also. I recognize that there are people who are Christ followers who deal with loneliness just like other folks do. And the reason I believe that's the case is because God is using us to glorify himself. When a Christ follower who's lonely, lonely shows the world how you can push through loneliness with the power of God, that is a testimony. That is something where people are paying attention to it. And so church, I would say this. If you're lonely today, Rather than turning to the things of the world, turning to distractions, turning to the list that Google can provide, why don't you turn to the living God today and tell him you're lonely and ask him to rescue you from your loneliness. I'm going to pray right now. I'm going to invite you to pray with me as we ask God to just rescue us from loneliness. And you know what? If, if I could help or be a further assistance, I'd love to do that. I, you can connect with me uh, through email. You could, my email address is tturner at mynorthbridge.org. I'd love to hear from you wherever you're at, whether you're a part of our church or you're just someone just tuning in and just watching us through the stream. Uh, if there's any way we as a church can serve you, can minister to you, we want to be available to you today, this week, later on in this year. Let us pray. Father, we come before you. Thank you for the testimony of your word, God. And Lord, I pray right now as you scan our hearts as we're watching this stream, would you check? And if there is loneliness within us, God, speak into that. Rescue us from that. These things we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Thank you for listening to the Northridge Church Podcast. If you'd like more information about Northbridge Church, you can find us online at mynorthbridge.org.